Bible reading today comes from John chapter 18, beginning at verse 1, and can be found on page 930 of the Church Bibles. When he finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place where Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief, chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Na- Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened to that the words that he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servants, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink, shall I not drink the cup of the, the Father has given me? Then a detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him in first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me, surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the the truth, why did you strike me? Then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Nice to be here in Kibbutz this morning. My name is Paul, if I haven't met you. I'm going to pray for us as we come to this part of John's Gospel. Father, please open our eyes to see glorious things in your word. Please soften our hearts, get rid of us, rid from us any thoughts 
any actions which are not pleasing to you. And Lord, as your word goes out this morning, we, we claim that promise that it will not return empty. And so, Spirit of God, do a powerful work in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Our question this morning is this, is, is how well do you know Jesus Christ? How well do you really know Jesus Christ? Uh, do you really know who he claimed to be? Do you really know what he said and what he did? And more than that, do, do you know the significance, the weight, the gravitas of who he claimed to be and what he did and what he said? What's your personal relationship with Jesus like right now? Because knowing Jesus is not just informational, it's relational. And the better you know somebody, the, the more you love them, the more you trust them, the more you obey them. Uh, the better you know Jesus Christ, the better you know who he is, what he said, what he did, I can guarantee you that your personal relationship with Jesus will just flourish. And that Jesus loves you intensely. Jesus forgives you unconditionally. Jesus knows everything about you. And he wants to have this, this relationship with you, which is the best possible relationship. He wants to bless you. He wants to walk alongside you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to forgive you. He just wants you to do life with him. He wants you to live a life, a life that you intended to live as a human being. So how well do you really know Jesus? There'll be some people here this morning who will say, I don't really know him at all. I know nothing about him. I've never read about Jesus. I've never investigated Jesus. If that is you here this morning, I'm really glad you're here. I'm going to pray that you encounter Jesus and discover his love, his compassion, his grace, and his mercy. There'll be people here today who will say, I don't know Jesus, and I don't want to know Jesus. I don't need to know Jesus. And my prayer for you is that you would encounter Jesus this morning. and You do need him. He does love you. There'll be people here this morning who say, I used to know Jesus. I once was a Christian. I once followed Jesus, but I wandered and I drifted. And I'm not quite sure why I'm here this morning. If that is you, I pray that you would re-encounter Jesus and just rediscover all those joy of intimacy with Christ. There'll be people here this morning who will say, yeah, I've known Jesus for 30, 40 years. And your relationship with Jesus just oozes out of you. And that, that is so encouraging for me. But you can always know Jesus better, can't you? But I think there are two groups of people here this morning who fit into none of those categories. I think there are people here this morning who have what I call a, a surface knowledge of Jesus. It's a bit like you're snorkeling with Jesus. You're staying on the surface. You're too scared to scuba dive. You're too scared to, to go deep with Jesus. And you're not going up close and personal with Jesus. If that is you, can I say you're missing out? You're missing out on this intimacy and this 
this joy that you can have with Jesus because you're staying on the surface. But maybe you're here today and you've got a, what I call a, a safe knowledge of Jesus. Everything is so flipping safe. And you're here in church and it's easy to, to follow Jesus. It's easy to worship Jesus. But when you walk out of this church building and when you encounter people who oppose you, who ridicule you, who confront you and say, are you a Christian? You kind of play it safe. You just want to be liked by everybody. And you're scared that if you acknowledge that you're really a Christian, people might not like you. And so you play it safe, you keep it safe, and you keep Jesus at a bit of a distance. I'm sure there's other people that hear this one, but each just falls at one of those categories. I want to say today... I want you to know Jesus in this intimate, beautiful, mind-blowing way. So, so we're back in John's Gospel for Holy Week. This is Holy Week. This is Palm Sunday. Next Friday is Good Friday, and then Easter Sunday. And we're going to go back to John's Gospel that we started last year. We're in John chapter 18. Jesus has preached his last sermon in that upper room. Uh, he's talked about how the Spirit's going to come and how we need to abide in Jesus. He's prayed that extraordinary prayer, praying for glorification and for unity and for protection and for love. And then we meet him here in this garden just a few days before he dies at Calvary. And I've called this sermon Jesus full of grace and truth. Jesus full of grace and truth. It's a phrase taken from the prologue of John's gospel in John chapter 1. You uh, quoted John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And verse 14 of what John 1 says this, and the word that is Jesus became flesh. God stepped into the world in the person of Jesus. The world became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory. We've seen his splendor, his majesty. The glory of the one and only son, full of grace and full of truth. That is the Jesus I want you to know, a Jesus full of grace. A Jesus who ate with tax collectors and sinners. A Jesus who welcomed little children. A Jesus who healed the blind and healed the sick. A Jesus who loved people who didn't love him. He is full of grace and we all need that because everybody here is broken and burdened and weak and weary and sinful. You need to know the grace of Christ and he's full of truth because he spoke truth. He confronted religious people. He spoke about holiness and godliness and we need that. We need grace and we need truth. We need Jesus who has both of them. In this counter today, we're going to just discover these truths about Jesus. We've got six amazing truths about Jesus this morning. 18 verse 1, we're heading towards Calvary. When Jesus had finished praying, he left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. That means dark waters, a great picture of the black valley that Jesus is about to pass through. It is Passover week. And just so you know, about a quarter of a million lambs would have been slaughtered that week. And as Jesus walked down this valley, he'd be walking through the blood of all these lambs. Isn't that ironic? The Passover lamb, Jesus, walking through the blood of human lambs. 
They come to a garden. When you see that word garden in verse 1, uh, don't think like botanical gardens that anyone can walk through. Think a private garden. If you see the film Notting Hill, it's that private locked garden. And as soon as you hear that word garden in verse 1, you're supposed to think about another garden, the Garden of Eden, way back at the beginning of time when the first Adam blatantly disobeyed. He was not full of grace and truth. Here's the first moment of grace. That Jesus is fully sovereign. He is fully sovereign. Jesus knows everything. He's in control of everything. That's the Jesus you need to know. Look at verse 2. Judas who betrayed Jesus, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. That's extraordinary. That's really bizarre. Why would Jesus choose to go to a garden, to a place where he could be found? This is the place where Jesus often met with his disciples to pray, to teach, to hang out. Why would Jesus deliberately choose a garden where Judas could find him? And the answer is that Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew he was going to be arrested and betrayed. He knew that he was going to be hung on a cross. None of this was an accident. Jesus was, is, over all things. He's fully sovereign. Verse 3, Judas came with a detachment of soldiers, about up to a thousand people here, Roman soldiers, Jewish soldiers, religious people with torches because it's night time and weapons because they've come to fight. But it's almost comical, isn't it? You've got an army of a thousand people, enough to wipe out a whole city, and they've come for one man and 11 perplexed disciples. There's another truth here that Jesus is in total Control. Jesus at this moment, he, he could have called down a legion of angels. He does that in Matthew's gospel. He could have wiped out this entire army, but he chooses not to. I love verse four. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out to them. So Jesus steps forward out of the garden He controls the time. He controls the place. He's not the victim. He knew what was coming. He knew Judas would betray him. He knew Peter would deny him. He he knows he's about to be bound like a, a lamb and led to the slaughter. He knows he's about to be beaten, mocked and scorned. He knows he's going to face a mockery of a trial. He knows all this stuff. He doesn't necessarily like it, but he chooses it. Is that the Jesus that you know? Is that the Jesus that you know? He's in control of every single part of your life. There is nothing that happens in your life that Jesus does not know about. There's nothing that has happened in the past that he didn't know about. There's nothing that will happen in the future that he doesn't know about. And you might not like what has happened And you might not understand what has happened and why he allowed it, but you've got to believe that Jesus is over that and in that. And as we try and control our lives and we try and say what's going to happen tomorrow and next week and next year, the honest truth is that we don't know. But Jesus knows. And that's the comfort. So Jesus is fully sovereign. Number two, he's fully God. 
He is fully God. Uh, verse 5, he says, Who is it you want? Uh, Jesus of Nazareth, they said. That, that is the most earthly name for Jesus. Remember Nathaniel back in chapter 1, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? So they come looking for this earthly man, but, but Jesus confronts them with his divinity. I am he, says Jesus. I am he, and they drew back and they fell to the ground. I am he. It's the last of the I am statements. I am the good shepherd. I am the vine. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection of life. I am the door. Here it is. I am he. I am he. I am he. It's, it's, it's Exodus 3 language, the burning bush. I am who I am. I am God, he's saying. And that's why they fall down. The word there is worship. Isn't that ironic? The, the soldiers who are about to arrest Jesus, they're going to bow down to him and worship him before they arrest him. Because when you're in the presence of God, when you're in the presence of the Holy One, you cannot do anything but worship him. And when Ezekiel saw the glory of God, he felt his feet in worship. When John saw the risen, reigning Jesus in Revelation 1, he fell up his gra- at the ground and worshipped him. And when you and I encounter Jesus, we will fall at our feet and we will worship him. Philippians 2 says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And even if you go through your entire life ignoring Jesus on that last day, whether you like it or not, you will bow the knee to him and worship him. Is this the Jesus that you know he's fully God? Not just a baby in Bethlehem, not just a teacher, not just a miracle maker, but he is God. He has the power of God. He has the presence of God. He has the provision of God. He is fully God. And that means, my friends, that you must, you must revere him. Please don't be flippant with Jesus. Please don't be casual with Jesus. Of course he's your friend, but he's also fully God. When we gather, we are standing on holy ground because Jesus is here. He's fully sovereign. He's fully God. He fully protects. He holds on to his people. He protects his people. He keeps his people. See that in verse 8? Jesus says to him, I I told you I'm he. If you're looking for me, then let these people go. Let these disciples go. Take me, but please don't harm my people. Let them go. Jesus just prayed, Holy Father, protect them. That's what he's doing here. He's protecting his followers. He's caring for his followers. He's willing to hand himself over so that his people, his disciples can go free. Now, heaven knows how many times Jesus Christ has done that for you in your life. He's protected you in ways that you've never seen. Often you complain about things. Why did that happen? Why did that happen? Maybe Jesus protects you at that moment. Maybe he's not allowing you to go to a certain place because he knows what would happen if you went there. Verse 9 is such a comfort. I haven't lost one of those that you gave me is the verse that Beck shared that he will be to completion. If you're here today as a believer in Christ, Jesus Christ will never let you go. He will never let you go. No one will snatch you from his hand. 
You may face all kinds of oppositions, all kinds of hatred and hurt and disappointments and doubt, but your Lord Jesus Christ will hold you and keep you and take you to glory. Then Simon Peter, verse 10. Gotta love Simon. He pulls out this sword. He thinks, I've got this. Isn't that comical? One man with one little dagger against a thousand people. He may be an amazing fisherman, but he's a terrible swordsman. He takes out this sword and he cuts off this, this servant's right ear. It's kind of a Mike Tyson moment where the ear comes off and the other, the other gospel tells that Jesus picks it up and puts it back on. But verse 11 is the key. Jesus says to Peter, put your sword away. That, that's a moment of truth, a moment of grace, because Jesus spares Peter's life. Do you understand that? That that Peter should have been arrested. That Peter should have been crucified because he's harmed the high priest's sermon. But Jesus steps in. There should have been four crosses, one with Peter on it because he's guilty. That's the truth about Jesus that you need to grasp, that you are the guilty one that you should have been condemned. But he stepped in and taken your place. Fully sovereign, fully God, fully protects, fully satisfies. This is the high point of John chapter 18, verse 11. The most glorious moment of truth. He says, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Jesus is about to take on the full wrath of God. He's about to fully satisfy the anger of God. If you don't understand this truth, you will never understand Easter. There are two cups in the Bible. There's a cup of blessing in Psalm 23. And there's a cup of wrath in Psalm 75. This is the cup that Jesus is talking about. Not a cup of blessing, but a cup of wrath, a cup of anger. Shall I not drink the cup of anger, the cup of wrath that the Father's given me? I know we don't like talking about wrath. I know we don't like thinking about God as an angry God, but it is part of his character, an essential part of his character. If God is holy, if God is righteous, if God is just, he cannot just sweep sins under the carpet. He can't just pretend things didn't happen. Don't you want justice to be done? Don't you want wrong to be punished? That is the character of God. He must and he will punish wrong. I wonder whether we've lost this sense of God as a God of righteous anger, a God of wrath. To meet your father face to face is a terrifying thing because he's rightly angry at your sin. So how will God's wrath be appeased? How will God's anger be turned away? You can't deal with it. And the answer is in verse 11. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? See, God's wrath, God's anger at the sins of the world is all poured down into one cup. Now God's wrath at the horrors of the Holocaust, God's wrath 
at war, God's wrath at rape, God's wrath at murder, God's wrath at my selfishness and my pride and my hatred and my envy, God's wrath at all the things that I have done wrong and you have done wrong have been poured down into one cup at one moment in history and it's full to the brim of, of God's anger and God's wrath at every sin of every human being, past, present and future. And that's what Jesus is facing at this moment. He's, he's staring at this cup thinking, can I do this? And he drinks it. Gulp, gulp, gulp. And he drinks every last dreg of God's wrath at your sin and my sin. That's what he's facing. But for you and I, if we understand that he's drunk that cup to the very dregs, it means that we are here confident, absolutely confident there is no anger left. There's no anger left for your sin or my sin. There's no wrath left because Jesus took it all. Please don't sit here feeling guilty at your sins, past, present and future. Please don't sit here feeling anxious about facing your father because Jesus paid it all. It's been done. It's finished. What did it cost you? Nothing. What did it cost Jesus? Everything. Uh, Please understand that as he's in this garden, he's looking at this this cup, he's looking at the cross thinking, I don't want to do this. Because for all eternity, Jesus has enjoyed this, this loving relationship with his father, this intimacy with his father in heaven. And what he's staring at at this moment is, is, is a moment where he, the Father's going to turn his face away and he's going to face the wrath of God, the anger of God on your behalf. That's why he's terrified. But he drank every last drop. So please don't feel scared about meeting your maker because you don't need to be if you believe in Jesus. He's drunk it all. He's fully satisfied the wrath of his Father. Is that the Jesus that you know? Fully sovereign, in control of everything. Fully God, not just a human being. Fully protecting you, he will keep you, he will hold you. Fully satisfying the wrath of his father. He's the one who fully intercedes for you. He is your perfect high priest. That's the irony of this chapter that Jesus stands Verse 12, bound. Isn't that ironic? The hands that created the universe, the hands that gathered children, the hands that touched lepers, the hands that flung stars into space are are now bound. He's bound like an animal about to be sacrificed. He could have escaped in a millisecond, but he didn't. And he's brought to the high priest in verse 13. It's a bit confusing. There are two high priests, Annas and Caiaphas. So you've got an imperfect high priest, a human high priest. And you've got the perfect, God's chosen high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And down in verse 19, they have the audacity. They have the audacity to interrogate and question God's perfect high priest. So you've got Jesus the high priest being slapped in the face, but he doesn't retaliate. 
You've got Jesus, the high priest, who doesn't offer sacrifices, he offers himself. You've got Jesus, the high priest, who doesn't just go through a curtain, he goes into the throne of heaven. He is your high priest. He's the one who intercedes for you. He's the one who mediates for you. Do you know him as your high priest? Hebrews 4, we have a high priest who has ascended into heaven. We don't have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, yet was without sin. So let's approach the throne of God's grace with confidence. I keep meeting Christians who don't grasp the fact that every minute of every day, the Lord Jesus Christ is at the right hand of his Father, interceding for you right now. When you cry out to him, he hears you. When you're feeling weak, he strengthens you. When you try to wander, he grabs hold of you. That's the high priest that you get to enjoy this intimacy with Jesus who sat at the right hand of his father right now interceding on your behalf. Do you know him? Fully sovereign, fully God, fully protecting, fully satisfying, fully interceding and this is the high point, he fully forgives. He fully forgives. This might be the truth that you need to hear this morning. Maybe you think this morning you are beyond forgiveness. Maybe you think that Jesus couldn't possibly forgive you. Well, if he can forgive Peter, he can certainly forgive you. Dear Peter, dear Peter, he's the one when they announced that Jesus would suffer and die. Peter said, no, 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 never, Lord. And when Jesus said, oh, everyone will walk away, he said, I will never walk away from you, Jesus. Trust me, I'll be your best disciple. And here he is, verse 15, in the high priest's courtyard. And it's this picture of human failure, a picture, if you want, of, of safe faith, of snorkeling with Jesus' surface faith. He's actually the person who denies, who distanced himself from Jesus. Verse 17, the slave girl says, you're not one of his disciples, are you? Has anyone ever asked you that question? Are you a Christian? Are you one of those born-again Christians? I remember sitting in a pub in Oxford, in the same pub that uh, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis used to drink their beers at, and a friend of mine says, are you one of those Christians? And I'm ashamed to say I had a very, very, very safe face. I just sort of subtly distanced myself from Jesus. I, I found myself talking about church. I, I go to church, I said, oh, and we help the poor. And we do all this ministry down in the housing commission. It's almost like I, I was a bit embarrassed to talk about my Lord and my Saviour, Jesus Christ. I was embarrassed to talk about his, him being the, the way, the truth and the life. I, I wanted to distance myself from Jesus. Maybe you've done that yourself. It's what Peter did. I am not, he says. And verse 18 is kind of ironic that the, the people who arrested Jesus, the people who betrayed Jesus, there they are around the fire. And you find in verse 18, Peter joining in. He's standing with them. He's identifying with the crowd. That's easy to do, isn't it? Gets even worse in verses 25 to 27. Three times he's asked, are you a disciple of Jesus? And three times he says, no, no, I'm not. Now, why did he do that? Why do you and I distance ourselves from Jesus? 
It could be lack of courage. It could be that he fears people. It could be that he's a people pleaser. He just wants to be liked. Deep down, I'm a people pleaser. You know, when people say to me, are you a born again Christian? I go, oh, yes, I am. But I think that Peter lacks real conviction. He doesn't really understand who Jesus really is. He doesn't want his Lord and Saviour to suffer and to die and to rise again. He wants a safe Jesus. Way too many of us patronisingly want to create a Jesus of our own imagination. What I love about Peter is that after the resurrection, after Jesus was raised from the dead, who is the very first person that runs to that tomb? It's Peter. Who is the person that Jesus has breakfast on the beach with and says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Who's the person that Jesus chooses to lead his early church? It's Peter. And I want to say, church, if the Lord Jesus Christ can fully forgive one of his closest disciples who blatantly denies him and blatantly disobeys him, then he can certainly forgive you. And you might be here this morning, you're thinking, he couldn't forgive me. Paul, you've no idea the kind of life I've lived. You've no idea the kind of things I've done. I don't, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've done or how bad you think you are. I do know this truth. The blood of Jesus is more than sufficient to cover your sins, to forgive your sins, to wash you and to cleanse you so that you can sit here today knowing that you are fully forgiven. So is that the Jesus that you know? Fully sovereign, control over everything. Fully God, revere him, worship him as God, you're on holy ground. Fully protects, he will hold you, he will keep you. He fully intercedes, he's your high priest, he knows everything. And he fully forgives you. We're about to take communion. It is a great reminder of this Jesus who gave everything for you. So I invite you to adopt a posture of prayer. Maybe recognise that you haven't acknowledged him to be fully sovereign over all things. Maybe recognise that you haven't trusted him to protect you. Maybe recognise that you're holding on to guilt, you're holding on to pain because you haven't let him fully forgive you. Or maybe recognised that you kept him at a distance. We're going to pray this prayer together. Father eternal, giver of light and grace, we have sinned against you and against our neighbour in what we have thought, in what we have said and done, through ignorance, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We have wounded your love and marred your image in us, We're sorry and ashamed and repent of all our sins for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Forgive us all that is past and lead us out from darkness to walk as children of light. Amen.
We're about to take some bread. It's all gluten-free and some juice. This is a symbol of the body that was broken for you. And this is a symbol of the blood that was shed for you. If you're here this morning as a believer in Jesus, you know this Lord Jesus Christ, I encourage you to take the bread and to take the juice, hold on to it. Uh, we're going to eat and drink together after our next song. If you're here this morning and you wouldn't yet call yourself a believer in Christ, you haven't put your trust in Jesus, please don't feel obliged to take it, just let it pass you by. So let's stand and sing about that amazing cross in our hymn, When I Survey.